0: Uh, sensitivity is not weakness. Sensitivity is strength. Vulnerability is strength. You, know yeah. you know the vibes. Now tune to the greatest. What's up, y'all? It's your girl Jazz. Welcome back to another episode of Vulnerable Vibes. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I have so much to say. Like, let me start off by saying that this is gonna be a very long episode. You know, usually my episodes is not really that long. I try to keep everything, you know, in a pretty good <laughs> timely frame because I don't want y'all to get bored. But the girls have been asking me for longer episodes, so be careful what you ask for because, yeah. Anyway, this season. Of vulnerable vibes. (laughs) I sound like I'm on Netflix. This season of vulnerable vibes, we really getting into the tea. Like we're getting into it. Like we're getting down and dirty. It's 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 not giving on the surface no more. Like I'm tired of that. Like I really gotta get y'all into a different type of bag. Because I feel like these past few years have been a lot on all of us. Like every last one of us has gone through something, right? And Life will never stop. lifeing. like let, let's make that clear. Life is always going to be hard, but I think so many of us are in a space where we are just trying to heal. We're just trying to heal, and I think it's my job to use this platform to give y'all the education that y'all need to heal. Because I don't think that a lot of people know that education is a very big part of healing. Let me explain. Let me explain. Let me explain. So as we all know, right, these past few years, mental health has become just so much more valued, like so much more valued, way more open than it's ever been, which is great, which is amazing. Like when you open social media, like you you see it, you see just the difference. People are just bringing awareness to it, whether it's celebrities, influencers, whether it's just quotes that are floating around, like mental health is way more valued and I love that like as a mental health worker that shit makes me it just brings something to my soul like it does something to me it just makes me so happy however I do see just a type of like on the surface thing that's happening when it comes to social media like we're talking about it but we're not talking about it and I don't Think that's anybody's fault. I just think that people like me, people who are in this field, like we just have to continue. Now that we got everybody's eyes open, we have to continue to educate you all. Like, we have to continue to use our platforms to provide the education that y'all we all need in order to be better. And so that's what this season is about. That's what this season of vulnerable vibes is about. And I think if I had to choose a word to describe the next few episodes or just the season in general, like, you know, the theme of the season or whatever, I probably would say this is the season for self-awareness, self-awareness, period. Because like I said, we're all on a healing journey, right? And in my opinion, let's make that clear. This is not a fact, but in my opinion, as a person in this field, I think that healing requires a few things. The first thing being awareness. Um, awareness, acceptance, work, patience, all of that. But the very first thing that you need to do when you're on a healing journey is you need to work on being more self-aware. And self-awareness and emotional intelligence, they go hand in hand, right? Right? But when you add in education, those three work together as a integrated system for healing and education like uplifts your self-awareness and your emotional intelligence. When we educate ourselves, we just become more emotionally intelligent, which leads to an increase in self-awareness. So the truth is, when it comes to self-awareness, we all struggle from from time to time. We all struggle to perceive and just comprehend, you know, the reasons for our actions or our emotions, like the underlying reasons for why we feel the way we feel. And self-awareness is the ability to really comprehend yourself on a very deep level through self-reflection and introspection. As you become more self-aware, you gain a better understanding of not only yourself, but just so many things that are beyond the surface. Like, you gain a better understanding of your strengths, your weaknesses, your values, like what you consider to be right or wrong. You gain a better understanding of things that motivate you, like what drives you, the things that you do without thinking, like your habits and you gain a better understanding of your emotional triggers. Like what causes you to feel strong emotions? What causes you to cry? What causes you to withdraw from people? Self-awareness is just really a form of stepping back and observing your thoughts and feelings as they unfold. And it can be as easy as just paying attention to the feelings you have when you're, when you are with certain people, like what's going through your head. And it can be as easy as just paying attention to the thoughts that cross your mind when you're about to do something scary, like when you're about to step out of your comfort zone or do something that you you've been wanting to do, taking a risk. Like it can just it it's really just about, you know, really paying attention to those deep feelings that we probably would not pay attention to. Really paying, bringing attention to the areas of your inner world that are normally hidden away, overlooked, ignored. Paying attention to your, you know, emotions and how your emotions impact your physical symptoms, your behaviors, your reactions, your desires. Awareness of all these aspects of your of your life and yourself. Like this is the first step into healing, and changing, and growth. And like I said, when I say self awareness. I'm also saying education, because at the end of the day, you cannot work on what you don't know. <laughs> like, you can't heal or work on what you don't know. That's just how it is. Like, that's just, it's just basic math, babe. It's just basic math. And with that being said, I really feel like it's important that we not only focus on mental health um, on the surface, like, We have to go beyond the surface and really educate ourselves on these really important things because this is what we need to heal, education and self-awareness. So in this episode, I'm going to educate y'all on attachment styles and how learning about attachment styles and identifying your own attachment style can really help you become more self-aware. And not only can it help you become more self-aware, but it could really help you, you know, To develop healthier and more rewarding relationships, because contrary to popular belief, we need relationships in our life. We need each other. Like, we need each other. And I know a lot of people may not feel that way, you know, just based on past trauma. And I get that. Like, I'm not negating anybody's thoughts or views, but I am here to use my platform to educate y'all on the things that I have been educated on, the things that I know, and this episode is really, really good if you feel like you want to heal when it comes to relationships, when it comes to building connections with people, when it comes to communicating with people, or just if you really want to just get a better understanding and more self-awareness of why you may communicate a certain way, why you may feel this way, and et cetera. According to attachment theory, which was first developed by psychiatrist John Bobley in the 1950s, attachment style is shaped and developed in our early childhood in response to the relationships that we have with our parents or our earliest caregivers. And essentially, when we grow up to become adults, attachment style is thought to mirror the dynamics that we had with um, those parents and caregivers as when we were babies and children. So what is attachment? Okay, attachment is basically an emotional bond that you have with another person. That's basically what attachment is. And John Bobley, he was a British psychologist and he was probably the very first attachment theorist. He was definitely the first attachment theorist. And he basically described attachment as a lasting psychological connectedness between human beings. He pretty much dedicated his life to attachment theory and he did extensive research. He shared the psychoanalytic view that the early experiences that we have in our childhood are really important for influencing development and behavior um, later in life, which many other psychologists agreed with him. Um, Specifically, one of his students, her name was Mary Ainsworth. She, in the 70s, she kind of expanded upon his work and she came up with this study. Um, it was called The Strange Situation. Now, if you're not really familiar with psychology, every single theory, every thought, every, everything that you could think of, even like mental health disorders, everything has a study traced back because that is how scientists, psychologists, that is how they gain evidence through research and through research studies um, occur and that's how you kind of just find out if certain theories or or different thoughts are true based on a study to back it up so anyway going back to mary ainsworth so she developed a study called the strange situation and the study the purpose of her study was, like I said, to expand upon Bob Lee's original work, but she really wanted to reveal the effects of attachment on behavior. So in the study, researchers observed children between the ages of eight months to 18 months as they responded to a situation in which they were briefly left alone and then reunited with their mothers. Um, some, I think it was one study that did fathers too, but for the majority of the studies, it was done with mothers. And so based on the observations of the study, Ainsworth concluded that there were three major styles of attachment, secure attachment, ambivalent attachment, and avoidant attachment. Um, and then, like, later on, there were two researchers known as Maine and Solomon. They added a fourth attachment style, which is known as disorganized attachment. So, in the study, basically what happened was the parent, or let's say the mom in this case, okay? So, the mother would come in with her child. Let's say he was one years old. Um, and they would go into a playroom. The child would observe different toys in the room and the parent would just be there and just watch them observe. They wouldn't interact with the kid for the first two minutes. So the baby would just, you know, walk around, observe the toys, start to play. And then after two minutes, the mother would start to play with the kid. And then after a few minutes of playing with the kid, a stranger would enter the room. And a stranger just would sit there. Really, wouldn't speak to the kid or the parent. They would just sit there, and the child would just, you know, either observe the stranger or not care about the stranger. <laughs> um, and then after a few minutes, the stranger would start to play with the kid. And as the stranger was playing, begin to play with the kid, the parent would kind of sneak out of the room. So this portion of the study was really. Emphasize and researchers because researchers really wanted to observe like, okay, how do these children react when their parent leaves and how do they react when their parent comes back? Because after like probably one or two minutes, they would send the parent back into the room and the parent would comfort the child. And they really wanted to emphasize, okay, how does the reunion and the departure affect their behavior? So, um, the first attachment style is secure attachment so during the study some children you know they explored they played freely when their mother was in the room and Once their mom left the room, they became very distressed. They started to cry. They would even, like, kind of run after her before the door closed, bang on the door. They just became, like, really distressed, and um, they started to avoid the stranger. Like, they didn't care about that stranger no more. They wanted their mother. Like, they they wasn't playing with the toys. They wasn't doing nothing. But as soon as their moms came back, they recovered quickly. All the mother had to do was pick them up, hug them, give them a kiss, and they was like, okay. Went back to playing with their toys, went back to play paying attention to the stranger. This shows that securely attached children know that they can depend on their moms or um, you know, when they're under stress. They are comforted by being held. And once the mother comforted them, um, you know, they're okay because usually their mothers are responsive to their needs. So John Bobley felt that children are securely attached if they are confident of a caregiver's support and that they understand the caregiver to be accessible and responsive. And as they develop more independence, they come to think of their parent as a secure base. And as long as that parent is nearby, you know, these children will be able to explore, play, and socialize with others. While forming a secure attachment with a caregiver or a parent is normal and pretty much like expected, like we, you know, we would all think that we, um, I mean, I'm not a parent, but we would all think that we're letting our children know that, you know, you have me, I'm here for you. But as researchers have noted, unfortunately, it just doesn't always happen. Like they have, researchers have found a number of different factors that contribute to the development or lack of development, or of secure attachment. Um, particularly, it's just fo- it just boils down to a mother's responsiveness to her infant's needs during that first year of a child's life, which is really, really important. So let's move on to avoidant. Some children in the study showed very little emotion when their parent left the room. And when their parent returned, they acted very unbothered. That's the best word I can use. They were very much unbothered. They were not phased at all. And Ainsworth and her colleagues, they hypothesized that this avoidant behavior really masked their true distress. So they were hiding behind their emotion. And further research decides to track their, uh, their heart rates. So they would track their heart rates and they realized that the theory was true, that these infants had a significant increase in heart rates. However, they were acting or behaving as if they were not bothered at all. So they were able to hide their emotions even as young as 8, eight to 12 months. So this may indicate that the parents may have rejected them in the past or didn't really show them much physical affection. So moving on to anxious ambivalent, um, ambivalent, anxious is kind of the same thing when it comes to attachment. So these children showed significant signs of distress when their mother left. They were pretty much an emotional wreck. However, when the mother returned, they were kind of hard to comfort. they it's like they were ambivalent, like ambivalent, meaning you you're not really sure how to feel. And so they wanted to be really happy that their parents came back in the room, but they're also super resentful, like very angry and just pissed off at the mother for leaving them in the first place. And the researchers observed that these children had a desire to punish their mothers. Like I said, they were very resentful, and they would act out despite being relieved that she was back. This response shows that in the past, when the babies sought comfort, the parents have just been really inconsistent, and they have not always met the child's needs. Finally, some children showed largely inconsistent behaviors, including pretty much like confusion, aimlessness throughout the entire experience. Um, Some of them had like a fear of the of their parent or even aggressiveness towards them. And sometimes they'd have these moments of like just weird behaviors that kind of didn't fall into either of the categories or they would be a mix of several behaviors. So these children were, lab- were labeled as having a disorganized attachment. Now, like I said, researchers came up with this attachment way after because these children were like, they, they never fell into the exact category of the attachment styles that Ainsworth came up with. So this relationship style indicates that, their, indicates that their parents might be their only safe space, but they also may have a chance of being scared of their parents um, and just overall super inconsistent when it comes to having uh, that emotional connection with their parents. Another thing to know about like the disorganized attachment um, style is that they pretty much are confused. Like these children were put in this category because they they just seem confused apprehensive like there's no like real um like you know with the other attachment styles there are key behavioral characteristics that you can point out to kind of put them in these different categories but these children they are kind of just like I said all over the place um and Maine and Solomon who are the ones that came up with this character uh this attachment style they proposed that the inconsistent behavior on you know that came from the parents is the contributing factor, but they felt that parents who act as who act as figures as both uh, fair and reassurance to a child can really contribute to it. So, like I said, the child can feel both comforted and frightened by the parent. Um, this can happen in a lot of abusive relationships. Like if parents were abusive to kids, to their kids, they can show signs of a disorganized, insecure attachment style the research that Mary Ainsworth did was really good. Like it really set precedence for a lot of um, important things when it comes to attachment theory. And a lot, you know, it just, it really helped researchers and psychologists later on um, establish um, and promote these attachment styles to help people kind of see how their behaviors and emotions were developed based on how their parents treated them. However, just like anything in life, there's good and bad. Like a lot of people felt like this research study was kind of redundant and kind of just did not kind of was like a one size fit all type of thing. And I c- I can agree to a certain extent I think that, you know, like some people or critics have said about this study, this study was only done with a particular group of people this study wasn't done in different cultures this study wasn't done with a lot of um like non-maternal figures I think it was only one uh father in the group like it wasn't really done on the major. like it wasn't really done on the majority it was done on min- on a minority group of people and so a lot of critics feel like you know although these um attachment styles would develop through the study it might be different for people in different communities which I think which I agree with I agree with so with that being said I realized you know as I've gotten older and just deeper into this research I realized that it is not true that you can only have one attachment style you can have more than one attachment style especially if you had a parent who was unpredictable, a parent who was inconsistent, and if you had two parents who were very different, you probably have a secure attachment style with your mom, um you know through her, but through your dad it's probably a avoidant attachment style. Let me let me say this like let me put this disclaimer out there like it's not any of our fault. Like it's not our fault what attachment style we have and it doesn't have to stick with us like we don't have to carry these attachment styles on throughout our, our entire life that's why i'm educating you guys on it now so that you can try to identify it and see like okay is this attachment style a good one is it really impacting how i communicate and connect with others is it going to aid into my healing i think identifying my attachment style really helped me um help me heal because it helped me become more aware of the things I was doing when it came to relationships and just connecting with others, how I dealt with my emotions. And at the end of the day, like I said in the beginning, it's all about self-awareness. In order to heal from the things that we experience as kids, we have to become aware of it because if we're not aware, how are we going to fix it? So the big question is, how do these attachment styles that are formed when we're children, translate or show up into our adulthood? That's a great question. Let's get into that. So secure attachment. Let me start off by saying nobody's childhood is perfect. Like nobody's childhood is perfect. And even if you experienced great, even if you had great experience with your parents or your caregivers, sometimes you won't always have a secure attachment and that's okay. It's okay that You don't if it's okay if you don't have a secure attachment. It's perfectly fine. Because, like I said, nobody had a perfect childhood. Um, so if you experience a secure emotional bond growing up, that means that your parents or your caregivers, they were really consistent for the most part. Like your caregivers' behavior provided you the feeling of feeling safe, being safe um and protected. And you always felt that way. And you felt that they were always emotionally present and accepting. So as an adult, you're really comfortable developing emotional connections with people. Like that ain't nothing for you. You are able to balance being close to others with being independent. Like you're good with that. You are able to communicate effectively. You're good with resolving conflicts Um, and you're good. Like uh, like you're okay with your connections in your life. You don't stress about them. Um, Another characteristic of, a securely attached um, style, attachment style in adults is you have high self-esteem. You don't worry about how you're viewed in relationships. You enjoy intimate relationships. Um, and being able to give and receive love and affection is easy to you. Like that's easy. And when it comes to being able to seek out support from people in your life, you're good with that. You're okay with being vulnerable you're okay with letting people in your life know like, yo, I need help. Like, or yo, like I'm feeling so sad. Like, or what you did made me feel so sad. Or I'm going through a lot right now. I need help. Like you're completely secure with being able to be vulnerable and seek out support and love from people. And like I said, no one has a hundred percent secure attachment style because none of us have perfect childhoods, but this is ultimately the goal. I believe it is. An, it is attainable. I feel like we're always. I feel like life is hard, and like I said in the beginning, life is always going to be lifeing, and too much happens in our world in our life for us to a hundred percent be secure every single day. Like obviously, we're not going to have a secure attachment style every day, but this is the ultimate goal. Our goal should always be to be able to communicate, to be able to give and receive love freely. Um, and just everything that I, that I listed when it comes to the characteristics of having a secure attachment style, we all are trying to reach that level of attachment. (laughs) And like I said, it's okay if you don't have, if you're not there yet, cause I'm not okay. I'm definitely not there yet, but it's okay. We're working on it. We're learning. So let's get into ambivalent attachment style, which is also referred to as anxious attachment style. So this attachment style has a few names, ambivalent, resistant, um, anxious, preoccupied. Back then um, when it first was developed, it was called ambivalent. But nowadays, uh, most people just use the term anxious. So as a child, um, you may have had a parent who responded to your needs very inconsistently. Um, Let's say your parents were just pretty much wrapped up in their own anxiety, depression, their own trauma, like they were dealing with their own shit. And because of this, they responded to you in hurtful and really critical ways. Um, These responses created a very, very big sense of insecurity and Just being overall uncertain of what to expect from people. And because of this, you grew up to be an adult that constantly needs um, reassurance from people in your life. You constantly need reassurance and attentiveness in your relationships. Because if not, you don't feel loved. Um, It might even get to a point where you feel super uncomfortable unless you're completely locked in with that person. <laughs> like, I mean, very, in the, very dependent on that person Um, is probably the only way that you'll know, okay, they love me. I'm loved. A lot of people who have this attachment style can struggle a lot with codependency to the point where, like I said, that's the only way that they feel love from people in their life. Because like I said, If you have this attachment style, you likely, you likely grew up with a parent or a caregiver who, you know, you didn't really know how they felt about you. You try to perceive how they felt just based on small things that you try to piece together in your head because they never came out and told you, um, I love you or I care about you They would show you sometimes, but sometimes they wouldn't. So it was always very inconsistent. And so you grew up to be this adult who overanalyzes relationships. You overanalyze the people in your life. And sometimes you'll literally, like you did in your childhood, you'll literally sit there and piece together this person's behavior. You'll sit there and try to perceive how this person feels. Um, just based on small things that, like I said, you try to piece together in your head. Like, for example, this person is not texting me back fast enough. They don't love me. This person, oh, I haven't hung out with my friend in like three weeks. Oh, she does not love me. She don't fuck with me. Um, th- This guy I'm texting, he texts me every five days or he don't be sending emojis. He don't, he be texting mad dry. Like he don't love me. He don't like me. These are things that you hyper fixate on because this is your attachment style. So something that I learned that was super important when it comes to attachment styles and specifically anxious and avoidant, but I'll get to avoidant later. So when it comes to anxious atta- the anxious attachment style, a lot of children who experience abuse when they were children or just overall childhood trauma relating to abuse, and that could be verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Many of these children felt that they had to find ways to avoid the abuse. So what that means is that something in their nervous system made them feel like they had to increase their um, fight or flight. And so it was not that I had to fight back because, you know, you're I'm a child, but it was, I have to find ways to stop this abuse. So I have to find out what I'm doing to stop it. I have to look for those social cues from my parents or my caregivers, my abuser and say, okay, what is it that I'm doing that can stop this abuse? So as a child, you interpret the abuse as it's my fault. And the reason children do this is that so that they can be aware of the threats that come with the abuse so that they're not subjected to the abuse. And this is something that as adults, you know, it's not true. When someone abuses you, it's not your fault. But as children, they don't have the mental capacity to feel that way. So this evolves into an anxious attachment style. So we're going to move on to avoidant um, attachment style, which is also called dismissive. So people with this attachment style, they have it a little tough as well. So these type of people, they have to rely... On parents or caregivers who were emotionally unavailable, um, crying, being sad, expressing emotions—nah, <laughs> not in my house. These are pa- these are uh, people who had parents who were very strict, very emotionally distant, very insensitive. They did not tolerate the expression of feelings. Um, and they expected their child to be tough, to be independent. They raised, you know, warriors, go to school, get your good grades, you get a good job. you you, you keep your head up. And I say, you don't you 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 ain't sad, depressed depression. You, depression. <laughs> you better depress these dishes. These were these this this type of parent is what raised avoiding attachment style adults. <laughs> um, and as an adult, if you grew up with that type of environment, As an adult, you will find that your independence is non-negotiable. Like relying on other people, having people rely on you, being close to people, that makes you uncomfortable. Like, nah, these is these are the I'm independent, don't need nobody type of people. Like, if you are a person with avoidant attachment, you may carry around a feeling of being emotionally ta- detached like you're really scared of making uh connections relationships and you know intimacy you struggle with that because you learned that depending on people or expressing yourself to people is unsafe and as adults you tend to have a difficulty with just being intimate and intimate is not only sex as we all know intimacy is just being vulnerable like let's say that hello (laughs) like these are the people who really struggle with being vulnerable um they don't invest much emotion in relationships uh they experience little distress when a relationship ends (laughs) these are the um you thought I was feeling you type of people like nah they not they not on the none of the lovey-dovey they avoid it at all costs. Um research also shows that adults with an avoidant attachment style are more accepting and likely to engage in casual sex. Like I said, it's uh hit it and quit it what you doing? what you about to do though? Like where's your Uber? These are these type of people. Um and it's not because they want to be, it's just because of how they were raised, you know, the uh The attachment that they had with their parent or caregiver is what led to these characteristics. It's just important to know that emotions that we, the emotions that we receive in the first year of our life when we're children growing up, like that can really affect our behavior as adults. Um, So because a parent or a caregiver was emotionally unavailable, they would raise a child with an avoidant attachment style who grew up thinking that opening up and being their true genuine self around others will result in being unloved or rejected because that is what they were modeled. That is what they learned at that at a young age that expressing themselves can be dangerous because they're the people who were their first relationships, their parents, their caregivers, those people did not establish that. Those people made it to where it was an unsafe thing or, you know, it was a dangerous thing to express yourself, to show love, to show emotion. Um, These people are, you know, sometimes they're good at listening and accepting your flaws, but when it comes to themselves, nah, they don't, they can't do it. Um, And sometimes these people struggle supporting partners. They struggle to support people in their life because, like I said, they have this inability to like share feelings and share thoughts and emotions with their partners, their family, their friends, and it doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes them a person who was not shown the way. Now, when it comes to avoiding attachment, like I said earlier, I learned how childhood trauma directly affects um, a person who will evolve into a avoidant attachment style. So children, specifically children who Experience neglect from their parents or their caregivers. Children who experience neglect, whether it's physical neglect or emotional neglect, they, because the parent was not there for that child, the child learns that I need to be here for myself. I don't trust anyone. I can't trust anyone because those main relationships, those core relationships, which is the relationship with the parent or the caregiver, failed me and left me. So now I have to close myself off and I can't trust anyone and this is just how many avoidant attachment styles develop because because they did not get love they're not really good at giving it or receiving it because they never got it when a child experiences both abuse and neglect they kind of float between avoidant and anxious so at sometimes they can exhibit some anxious attachment style symptoms and or characteristics And then then other times, they can exhibit some avoidant characteristics. This means that this person is basically very confused. Um, They're floating between both of them because of the abuse and neglect that they were subjected to. And they have serious fear when it comes to connecting and just attaching to people. This leads us straight into the last attachment style, which is disorganized. So disorganized attachment is the primary attachment style for those who have suffered complex developmental trauma. Psychologists argue that parents who act as figures of both fear and reassurance to a child contribute to a disorganized attachment style. Because this child feels both comforted and scared by the parent, that's when the confusion will arise in such a tremendous way that they're not even sure what they feel. People with Uh, this disorganized attachment, um, they desperately crave affection. Like they want to, they want love. They, they really do, but they avoid it and they don't know why. Um, Sometimes they may show signs, like I said, of avoidant or anxious, but it's because they're very confused due to what they have experienced. They're very reluctant to develop close relationships with people. But at the same time, like I said, they really do seek them out. They really want to feel love. They really want to connect and attach with people, but they find themselves wavering between, do I need to love this person or do I just need to avoid them? Um, A lot of times as adults, they grow up to, to be people who feel safer being by themselves so that they don't get hurt by others. And they do, they are able to like connect with people and build relationships. But as an adult, like I said, they're confused. These confused children grow up to be very confused adults. And a lot of times their relationships can be very inconsistent or confusing. And when you open this door to discovering what your attachment style is and discovering why, you know, it, it can open a Pandora's box. Like you can feel angry towards your caregiver, your parents. You can feel confused. You can feel... You can just, it, it may, it will make you look at them in a different way. Like, wow. Like, because of you, this is how I perceive things. This is how I react. This is how I connect with people. This is why relation- my relationships end in that way or this way. Like it's human. It's, it, it's only human for us to feel that way towards our parents. But the important thing here is not to place blame. Like Let's become more aware and educated on why we are the way we are, and let's make a pact of promise to ourselves that we're going to try to move forward. Now that we have the information, now that we have the why, it's time to move forward and figure out, okay, I know that these things were my natural survival instincts. I need to now become more self-aware. I need to now focus on how I can become more of a secure person when it comes to connecting with people, when it comes to connecting with myself, when it comes to how I react, how I decide to perceive things. It's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. like, It's a lot of work. I'm not going to hold you. I'm still healing and learning and growing when it comes to just moving out of the attachment style that I was born in versus the attachment style that I want to be in, which is secure. It's really important to know that these attachment styles that we learned in our childhood, like this was just a way to cope. This was just a way to manage the, these experiences that we were going through because we did not know what to do. We were children. So we just adapted into these, um, you know, different ways to cope. And they were almost like survival instincts. Like it was just the best means of self-protection when it came to any insecure parenting or any like inconsistent parenting, any absent parenting. Like these were the survival instincts. So yes, it is possible to change your attachment style. It is possible to work through your attachment style and to become more secure because like I said, that is the goal. My ultimate goal is always to be secure. So just to get vulnerable with you guys, it took me a long time to kind of healed through my attachment style. I think I'm still healing through it. Don't get me wrong. But once I realized what my attachment style was, everything just clicked for me. Like everything clicked for me. Like just thinking about it gives me, I don't want to say it makes me sad. It doesn't make me sad because I think I'm just really content with the fact that certain things just were not my fault. And now I'm just in a place where, because I know what my attachment style was, why it was that. I know what I can do better going forward when it comes to building relationships. And when it comes to just being an overall better person, this is what, this is what healing is all about. It's all about self-awareness. Like I had to accept, okay, I couldn't control how my childhood was. I couldn't control who I grew up to be, but I can control what I know and how I'm going to move forward. So. Like I said in the beginning, self-awareness is key when it comes to healing. And I was able to heal from a lot, a (laughs) lot, a lot. I was able to really heal from a lot when I learned what my attachment style was. And when I just learned like, this is why I do what I do. This is why I act how I act. This is how I interpret things. This is how, this is why I communicate this way. This is why I I was able to just see so many things in a different, in a different perspective. And it really helps me just see how certain things in my life um, turned out, like how certain relationships didn't work out, how certain relationships made me feel like it really helped me regulate my emotions. And honestly, it helped me become a better person. So I discovered that my attachment style is disorganized. The reason being is because I experienced both neglect and abuse from my primary caregiver, as well as abandonment. Um, And I also lost my dad when I was really young. So when you factor in death of a parent, abandonment of a parent, neglect and abuse, I, I was just all over the place. Okay, And this led me to really struggle connecting with people on a deeper level we're not gonna always only have one attachment style now for me my disorganized attachment style is in combination with the ambivalent and anxious attachment style which can be like a double homicide type of situation but I realized it and just how I would operate in relationships and just like how my relationships would end and how they would (laughs) form <laughs> how they would end how they would start how they were during so because of the trauma that came from abandonment and death I get very anxious when it comes to people in my life wanting to uh, just not really showing me love right away or not showing me love the way I need it because it's it scares me to a point where okay this person is gonna leave this person is gonna either leave me or leave the earth. This is the, the child in me. You feel me? Like this is the, um, the unhealed version of me, how I would go about relationships and friendships and family members. I I would often find myself putting myself in situations where I had to be friends with people who needed me so much because them needing me and that need made me feel loved. And I held on to that. Like I, I hyper-fixated on that because I knew that they would never leave me. If as long as they need me, they would never leave me. So I constantly found myself putting myself in situations where I would surround myself with people or get in relationships with people who needed me because I knew that they could not leave me. I knew that they Would never treat me different. Like sometimes in my case, right? I would sometimes compromise myself and do things that I would not want to do, just so that I can make sure that this person is not going to leave. Like if that means putting my needs before putting their needs before mine, if that means doing everything they wanted me to do without saying no, if that means just I'm always putting myself on the back burner to make sure that. They need me. I'm gonna overcompensate. I'm gonna overextend myself. Um, and this is just something that a lot of people who have this attachment style do. And it it's 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 a lie. Like, just because somebody needs you does not mean that they won't leave. It doesn't mean that they won't treat you um wrong. This is just something that you create in your head because of the trauma from your childhood, because of the lack of. Um, consistency that you got from a caregiver. You know what I mean? So this just all ties in. And it, when I realized this, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. Like when I tell you I was, I just looked at my life and looked at my actions, looked at just all, just, I just analyzed all my relationships and I realized that, you know, my childhood And just how I was raised, my situation with my parents, like it really affected every single thing. Like every single thing, like uh, your attachment styles can affect everything. Like almost everything when it comes to, when it comes to relationships, obviously. So yeah. Um, that's the tea on ambivalent anxious attachment and I want you to know if you have this attachment style or if you feel like you do it's okay like it can be changed it can be worked on this is not the attachment style that you'll have for the rest of your life obviously in certain situations you know it may trigger you no it doesn't matter how much you heal from something you we all still get triggered like life is life but knowing and becoming aware can really take you far. It can really take you far into your healing journey. And it took me very far. Like it took me far. So I'm hoping all of that for you. I'm hoping that that can happen for you if you feel like you have this attachment style. And I hope me sharing my experience with having this attachment style can make you feel better. You're not alone. It's tough. (laughs) Having an anxious attachment style is very tough. It's a constant battle of telling yourself like, this person loves me. This person cares about me. They don't need to text me all day. They don't need to see me every day. They don't need to constantly reassure me that they love me. They love me. You got to keep telling yourself that because your your past, your trauma, the voice in your head is telling you that they don't love you, that they're going to leave you because of what you experienced in your childhood. All right, guys, I know that you guys are probably enjoying this episode, but this is it for part one. Please come back and join me for part two, where we'll discuss more healing techniques, more therapeutic techniques into moving forward with healing from your attachment styles that have festered into attachment issues. Thank you for listening and I'll see you all in the next episode.